this is a true story. I was doing this gig. I, I was living in L.A. I worked at this place. Uh, it was a bar, actually a bar in Los Angeles. They don't have a lot of bars. They have like cocktail lounges and clubs, you know. But bars, like, you know, like Philly, you get bars. You, know, you go to your neighborhood bar, Jersey, you get a bar. Long Island, New York, you go to a bar. L.A., you don't go to a bar. You know, you go to somebody's house, you have cocktails. <laughs> uh, but, uh, you know, bars, you know, so this, there was actually a bar in L.A. It was downtown L.A. in the Wilshire District, and it was like a loser bar. Everybody would go to this bar after they lost at the track. You know, so everybody's like really bumming. So, and I got to go entertain these people, right? Um, so I'm, I'm doing this job, and, and, and everybody's blasted out of this. But I got free drinks. And I got paid union. Yes, sorry, Bob. <laughs> and I got paid union scale, and they put tips. And I had the brandy glass here, and I throw a five in there to get my. <laughs> yeah. And uh, and I said I'm going to get a song out of this, and by God, I did. Hi, I'm Alan Altman. And I'm Dave Josko. And this is Billy Joel A to Z. episode of Billy Joel A to Z as we go over an absolute classic star making song in the Piano Man's collection as today's episode is finally Piano Man unreleased track <laughs> nice Piano Man is the second song off of the album of the same name and was released as a single one week before the album was released on November 2nd 1973 Piano Man was the Piano Man's first major hit and has become his signature song. On April 20th, 1974, the song peaked at number 25 on the Billboard charts, which was something because it beat the Ray Stevens classic, The Streak. Here it comes. Boogie there, boogie there. There it goes. Boogie there, boogie there. And he ain't wearing no clothes. Oh, yes, they call him The Streak. Boogie there, boogie there. Fastest thing on two feet. Alon, you're too young. It's about naked people, right? That's right. And, and that time streaking was the hip thing to do. So tough to beat. But uh, he did it. Piano Man is a five minute and 40 second song on the album, although the single version is four minutes and 30 seconds. However, as you may or may not know, the radio edit version is wait for it. 305 foreshadowing. You bet it is this epic classic introduction to Billy Joel 
song also appears on 12 gardens live live at chase stadium the last song in the movie live at yankee stadium and the disc five dvd of the my lives compilation album as well as an unreleased demo of the song which may be one of the most fascinating demos of all time by anyone and finally an actual reason to purchase this dumb album a music video from 1973 does accompany this song which is a goddamn miracle and there's even a remake of the music video that was made in 1985. I'm saying all of this information because it's important to keep in mind, even though we already know, before we get to the meat of this episode, the Piano Man is a song of epic proportions. From lyrics, to the music, to composition, and to the instruments. It's not his best song, but it is maybe his most popular, and it is the most downloaded Billy Joel song on iTunes and Spotify. Ooh. In June of 2015, 42 years after the release of this song, Billy played the Bonnaroo Music Festival. And after 96 hours of live music and every sound and sight imaginable at the festival, it is quoted as saying, it came down to a man, a piano, and three decades of pop classics, ending with the song Piano Man, as people who were mostly in their early 20s sang along with every word of the song, to close out this festival. In November of 2015, Billy Joel was at game three of the World Series at City Field as the Mets played the Kansas City Royals at the beginning of the bottom of the eighth inning. While the Mets were up nine to three, they put Piano Man on for a full two minutes and the entire stadium sang along while an emotional Billy stood in disbelief from the press box. And finally, in that same year, the Library of Congress selected Piano Man out of 25 songs for preservation in the National Recording Registry for its cultural, historic, and artistic significance. Yes, a longer-than-usual opening for an episode, but completely necessary to explain the importance, significance, and staying power of this little ditty that could. Alon, now we've done New York State of Mind, Only the Good Die Young, and Piano Man, all in the span of a week or so. And yet, this song could have the most significance of them all. Without this song, you get nothing else. Uh, yeah, I mean, this song launched his career. It was his first big hit. And um, I mean, what's crazy is then he had two bomb albums afterwards. Uh, so it's kind of weird because you think the guy would become famous immediately after this. But he didn't. But the song still lived on and it always lives on. And it's, it's why he has his nickname, Piano Man. We don't call him Billy Joel the Entertainer. We don't call him Billy Joel, only the good die young guy. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> That's and, right. Uh, and I love it. I love this song. I can't get sick of this song. I'm a little sick of it, but that's not important. It, it, it has no difference in this particular episode of Billy Joel A to Z. It makes no significance of how I feel about this song. Uh, I, obviously, I recognize the importance of this song and how it affects others. And that's what makes it so important. So that, yes, leads us to the rankings. Now, I mean, again, we've been in a span of a week where we've hit our stride on this podcast going through the absolute classics. So Christopher Bananos has been awkward with these three songs that where Glenn Gamboa has been where we would have expected somebody to put them. So where do you think Christopher Bananos puts Piano Man out of 121 songs? I'm just going to guess number four. No, you're way off, actually. He puts it at number 15. Okay. Interesting choice. Yeah, surprising. He says exactly what I think the problem is and probably where I would put it. Scoff, if you will, 
but you've probably just heard it too many times. And that makes a lot of sense. That's the issue with, I'm sure, with his ranking. Real estate novelist is a great, vivid, three-word characterization. He also says, although I recently had an argument with someone who claimed that line was junk, I, of course, was correct. Uh-huh. I, I'm kind of on the fence about that line because the fact that it's so confusing to people, maybe it's not a great line because a lot of people don't know what it means. Or maybe it is great because it makes people talk about it. Good point, too. Now, Glenn Gamboa, in the past three weeks, we had his number one song and his number four song. Where does he put Piano Man? Number two? Three. Oh, man. I had like a, I had a 50-50 shot there. In a one-week span, well, how many episodes have we done? Like 50, 80? I don't know. <laughs> well, this is like our 100th plus right now. Is it? So, I mean, look, at, you're right. We've been doing it for a year. Our anniversary is coming up. And just in the past three weeks, we've had this guy's one, three, and four song. And that's what, yeah, I think that's what people have been waiting for since we were doing all those unreleased tracks, you know? (laughs) Yeah, they don't want to hear Oyster Bay. They want to hear this song. So let's see what he has to say. You know, when it's a number one, two, or three, I think you give his description as well. The, The classic is deceptively complex, considering how often it has been sung at closing time at bars around the world. Piano Man combines well-crafted characters, research from the months Joel spent performing in a Los Angeles piano bar with a memorable melody that lends itself to multiple listenings so that the song's themes come through. And it's a testament to how true the song rings, that fans are happy to put themselves in the roles of the flawed characters and Joel in the role of Piano Man. Brilliant. Well done, Glenn. So we uh, have this unbelievable song. I am confused by this song. I get conflicted. I've heard it too many times. I believe I've told you when I say, you know, Alexa, play Billy Joel. It always starts with Piano Man. And I say, skip to the next song. I believe the re- But, you know, again, in, in listening to it, it's great. I love it. I love singing at a bar with everybody doing the good, good night Saigon uh, arm in arm you know, singing the song, it Mm -hmm. really is, you know, holding a beer and just swaying it around. But I hate harmonica. And that's the issue. (laughs) That's the problem. That is (laughs) the problem. And that's that's ridiculous. Maybe, maybe for you, I can't stand the harmonica. It's exciting to watch him play the harmonica as it's strapped onto his shoulders. But I it's never going to work for me. You know, the problem with this song for me, and it's not a problem. I mean, really, look, it's great. And, but you know, again, like Captain Jack and um, some of the other too many verses sometimes, even though, you know, you love every minute of it because it's it's interesting and the words are amazing and the characters are amazing and you can picture them in your mind even before. I mean, the fact that they made a music video in 1973 and that might be, I think, without anybody saying anything, the most depressing music video I've ever seen in my life. Right. It nails it. It totally nails the song. It's so good for 1973. And because it's literally like these are the people. This is what Billy Joel looked like at the time. Like it all really puts you in that moment versus the one in the 80s where they redo the whole thing and make it very different. That 80. So they finally do one in 85, which is amazing. I'll never forget. He had just, I guess, put out the greatest hits album. And I remember I don't know where I was. I was in college, I guess. And I remember seeing like at a bar a video for Piano Man. And I'm like, what the hell? What the hell's going on? It doesn't make any sense. And I'm like, why don't I know about this? And I still really can't find any information of why it was made, whose choice it was to remake it, even though they already had an earlier one. 
So obviously, they were, I know they were making a video album, but I still don't understand. He had plenty of videos. Why? Why do this one? Why not do some others as well if you're going to go for it all? And I don't know whether this was necessary for a remake. The, the earlier one is completely suffice. It's not like it's better. <laughs> it's maybe there's more people at the bar, but it does, like you said, take away from the solemnness and sadness of the original, which really tells the story, which is just depressing as hell. Yeah, like the one in the 80s, they made it into like kind of a fun bar. It's packed with people. There's like goofy moments like they make the bartender a really big fat guy like John Panette or, you know, one of these like, yes. like, yeah. So when he's thinking about how he could be a movie star, he's like making faces like in the mirror, like, uh, like, like John Travolta. And then the waitresses are wearing these goofy, like Fred Flint, uh, Wilma Flintstone outfits. And uh, one of them is kissing the manager. And it's just a much different kind of scene than the one in the seventies, which is like this grimy, awful bar. The, the patrons are like squeezing the, the waitress's butt, which, you know, is like Elizabeth, his wife, which makes you really think how sad it must have been for Billy Joel to be at this bar every night playing, watching from behind a piano where he can do nothing about it as these businessmen are just like hitting on his girlfriend or wife constantly. Could have brought out a lot of the anger in some of the songs. Yes. <laughs> but it's a really awful video. I think, I mean, I just, I would, I would, I don't think I'd ever watch it again. I don't think I'd ever sit down and like, Hey, let's watch this. And and what I still can't understand is 1985, you know, make a better video. It's weird. And why make it? So then you say to yourself, well, God, you know, it wasn't that interesting. Cause I remember it just came out of nowhere. And then remember they redid big shot a little bit too. Why those two songs? I don't know. But then you say to yourself, you know, in 1985, I wonder why a bunch of other musicians didn't remake some of their classes, like uh, classics. Like why, you know, why didn't we see more of people kind of going back and making their classics into some really great music videos? It, you have to approach the question at that point. I bet that, you know, Billy Joel probably thought if I remake my old songs into like more modern looking music videos, then maybe MTV will play the Piano Man video. And maybe that never happened because that wasn't MTV's thing to play old songs like that. So then other artists also wouldn't do it. Well, no, it would have it would have been if you made a video. They didn't care as long as the video was good and had hot girls in it, which is why Piano Man was probably never played. You know, it's uh, it was going to get played. So why couldn't you just redo a, a classic? I don't have any examples, I'm sure. I mean, the Stones didn't care for videos or something, but I'm just saying there's there was a bunch of people that made songs that were awesome in the 70s that probably could have redone a bunch of stuff. I don't and, know. I just, made I, them extra successful and made more money. I just picture MTV in the 80s being just about like current music and not like, oh, let's play something that your uh, older brother liked. Yeah, but you you're forgetting when they first started, like 81, they were playing all the old anything they can get their hands on which is why they I think they were playing the original Piano Man for a long time, because anybody that made a video, they were trying to get. But by 85, you might be right. But then you if a guy like Billy right. Joel, but then it, a guy like Billy Joel has a new video, they might just say, yeah, let's just play whatever he got, got whatever he's got. And Piano Man is a classic and this will be great. But that video was so depressing. It just didn't work. I just don't understand the reasoning for making it in the first place. I just don't get it. Yeah. But the early one, I mean, what visionaries to, to even make that video? That's so amazing. Yeah, it is. And also, the song has such a more powerful meaning with his younger voice. It's not, it carries the same message when he's older, but with his younger, beautiful voice, it's, it, I think it gives a whole other message. 
Yeah, that's when he beautiful. when he raises that octave in all those verses, that's that's when you you get those chills down your spine. That's when it sounds great. And so the, yeah, the the later voiced Billy Joel doesn't quite have that same emotional moment. Yeah, and then of course when it just gets to that powerful ending, the piano sounds like a carnival, and the microphone smells like a beer. And they sit at the bar, put bread in my jar, and say, "Man, what are you doing here?" What an absolute crafted, beautiful ending up to a technical power ballad of its yeah. day. <laughs> but did you see there's a 1980 documentary where they interview some of the people who remember him from the folks. So if you don't know, he was the piano man at this piano bar called the Executive Room in Los Angeles. And that doesn't exist anymore. They tore it down and put up a mini mall. I can't believe that's not a song. And there's a documentary because <laughs> I'm sure you noticed too, Alon, while we were doing kind of the research, which isn't even necessary at this point for this song, because we get it. We everybody knows the story of Piano Man. And yet still, because it's such an iconic song, like we were talking with Only the Good Die Young, I still feel like I didn't do enough. You know, I didn't get that one tidbit that's going to turn everything around for us. Yeah, totally. Like when you mentioned that great demo, which I'm sure you're going to talk about, I was I was like, oh, crap, I didn't listen to the demo because I listened to 500 other versions of this song. Yeah, right. Exactly. Right. So, OK, so I did. Well, let me just say this one thing is that in this documentary, so we don't go back and forth. Yeah. In this documentary, they have people, they interviewed people that remember him being there. So remember, it's only about, you know, seven years out, eight years out. And now he's become the stranger, Billy Joel. Or, and he's, I think he's promoting glass houses for this documentary. And they're like. Yeah, I remember him. They apparently hated him. They're like, yeah, he clearly didn't want to be here. Like, that's what they remember about Billy Joel at this place, (laughs) that he was complaining apparently all the time. Yeah. What I thought was weird about that, that little documentary clip was like, that was those are the best quotes they could get from people. Like you're at the place where this happened and they have these two little quotes from people that it almost seemed like they maybe didn't even know him. Their stories didn't have enough uh, detail. It was just like, like you're saying, like, oh, yeah, he just didn't want to be here. That's what I'm saying. They they didn't like (laughs) it. Which you get just from the lyrics of the song. It's like, I could give that interview. I could be like, yeah, there was this bartender named John back then. He was a pretty cool guy. Wanted to be a movie star. Yeah, well, that's why that's what I got from it, too. It's like they were just that woman was even saying, like, well, he clearly wanted to be somewhere else. You know, I think they all just didn't like him. And then, you know, and then, of course, they're they're put in the song, which you would think immortalize them, but as losers. So it's like yeah. everybody was probably angry when it came out. Like, he's got to be kidding me. <laughs> right. They get the, the record like, hey, guys, we're in this song. And then they, they're all listening together and their faces drop like this son of right. a bitch. This is Elizabeth's fault. She always hated us, right? Because that guy is like, I swear to God, I'm going to write that novel. (laughs) I'm still working on it. Yeah. I've been out of the Navy for three years. I don't understand why I'm getting treated like this. I did my service. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, yeah, so this demo, which I talked about at the beginning, it's it's probably for for an an iconic song like this. we, We talk about it all the time, these demos, where you see the process. And this is a a broken down, unbelievable, right into his head of where it's coming from and how it was originally created and crafted. It's wonderful. It's that good where, you know, it's not good. Like you don't want to play it in your car where you're driving down the street. But it's one of those things. If you are just sitting at your computer and being like, I want to learn more about Billy Joel or I'm a musician that wants to learn about crafting a song. It's like a like a course in doing that. It's really terrific. 
Now, does he have different lyrics or are they pretty much the finished lyrics? Uh, he has different lyrics, too. He's working with them. He's working with them. It's awful. And, th- and that's the other thing, too. They're awful. Well, it's nine o'clock on a Saturday. Drinks are going fast. There's an old man sitting next to me. Regretting the time that has passed. The fact that he figured it out made these absolute, there is no other word for it, but iconic lyrics that fit everywhere. I mean, and you're just talking about the beginning of the song, which I don't wasn't sure it was there. It's nine o'clock on a Saturday. I mean, that even the opening and the regular crowd shuffles and you're, you're already in the song. It's like writing a book like that just starts off and you're like, you know what? I'm already interested in this. Yeah, it's just like he does with moving out. You know, Anthony works at the grocery store. Like right away, you picture the whole scene. He's so good at that, Alon. He's so good at that. You're so right. Great at great comparison. It, it drag this song brings you in. You know, he doesn't like it too sometimes because of its constant melody. I believe he says the chorus and the verse is the same melody. And again, this is just his second album, and it's just kind of funny that it's you know that he has to play it all the time because I really think he you know obviously he's probably done with it, but. He's probably done with it. And then when he plays it and he just hears everybody singing it where he doesn't even have to sing it anymore. I don't see how every time that just doesn't give you a chill. Yeah, it's got to be gratifying. Although that part of him is like, but why don't they also sing along to No Man's Land? (laughs) Right. Well, that's just being a, a, a curmudgeon musician. Yeah. Now, our guest, Danny Vermont, way back in the, was that the bees, maybe? Bees, yes, the bees. Yeah, he had mentioned that Piano Man is a limerick set to a waltz which is exactly what Billy Joel says about the song also. But basically, these verses are all just limericks and the music is a waltz and it keeps repeating itself. But it's, it's pretty funny because limericks you usually think of as being very dirty and the song doesn't really go in that direction. You know what the other thing about this song? <laughs> it's like we were just did Oyster Bay. If you think about it, it's, it's a sea shanty. Yes. <laughs> it is uh, with the added accordion. You can just picture yourself holding the beer and doing the elbow movement where everybody's just singing along like the cats in a cartoon in a Bugs Bunny cartoon where they're like, how dry I am. flat you know <laughs> and this is that kind of song i mean you, everybody does sing it in a bar but it it works in the way he likes it where you could see them absolutely doing this at a fisherman's bar at 5 a.m yeah totally these are like drunk sailors in the galley of a boat just singing this song for some reason but yeah it, it's it totally is that kind of song it's also very different than any song he would have put on uh, his first album, which is interesting. He really accelerated his pace with this song, I feel like, because when you think of Cold Spring Harbor, this song totally wouldn't have fit. And yet he wrote it just like a year after that. And it really morphed his career. Well, that's really interesting. You're absolutely right. Well, listen, we know how he is. I mean, he, he just kept upping his game with every album. I mean, it's amazing that this comes out. Well, I think you probably know the story and you probably read some of it. I was reading that article 
from that Keith Yates that they I think that you know you might have seen. Yeah, I skimmed uh, it. Right. Yeah. So apparently, as you may or may not know, this song came out and it didn't work. In fact, so much so that you know the album was going nowhere, and that this this there was a guy that worked at a record store. I don't think in Los Angeles. Do you know it was was it in Fresno or he worked somewhere in California, but not Los Angeles. And he worked at a record store and, and he would get promos of all these albums. And he's cleaning out his stock room one day and the album cover, the creepy album cover of Piano Man catches his <laughs> eyes, uh, so to speak. <laughs> and uh, he's like, what is this? He puts it on. He's still cleaning. And it's like in a movie where he, he stops short. <laughs> and he's listening to this song and then you know, puts down his mop and sits in a chair and and, and listens to this song. And he's calling people up and he and he calls up Columbia and he goes, hey, this album is amazing. Can I have some more copies? And they're like, yeah, we don't sell that anymore. We don't make that. We don't make that album anymore. And he's like, what are you, what are you talking about? You know, yeah, it's not working. We, we decided not to work with them anymore. In fact, the story he tells, and I don't know why we haven't heard this before, is that Columbia, after putting this album out, told him to go back to his day job. Did, did you see that? <laughs> no, I didn't see that. Columbia told Billy Joel after the release of Piano Man that you better get back to your day job. It's not working. No one will hire you. Oh, yeah. And this one guy, his name is Keith Yates, really tried hard. He's like, no, this guy's got to be heard. And he worked at a record store, but he, you know, he knew people in music industry, kept calling radio stations like, come on, can you play it? But no one had a copy. Columbia would not give a copy of the album because they didn't make any more. And so he, somehow he somebody made somebody got him some copies, maybe from another store. And he got like 20 copies. He saved four for himself behind the counter and he completely sold out because he kept playing it in the record store. And people are like, what's that? Mm-hmm. And like, oh, my God, it's this new guy, Billy Joel. He's unbelievable because, you know, Cold Spring Harbor went nowhere. So nobody had heard that. So nobody knew what it was. They're like this, this song is unbelievable. What else is on the album? Like, well, here it is. You know, they paid $2. And he wasn't even trying to make money. He was just trying to get the word out about this guy. And finally, one of the, so when one of the radio stations said they'd played, he took his own stash of albums and gave it to these like four radio stations and they played it nonstop, nonstop. And, you know, people kept calling in, where can I get this? Where can I get this? And Columbia changed their minds. These fucking fools who almost again did it after turnstiles. I'm not sure why he stick, stuck with them, except for the fact that he had such a bad experience the first time. So it probably had something to do with it. <laughs> he can never get out of his contracts. We know that about Billy Joel. Right. So anyway, 45 years later, I guess this guy, maybe he wrote an article about how this happened. And Billy Joel invited him to MSG and took him backstage. And uh, they met for the first time. And he said, thank you. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? Oh, that's so cool. Yeah, that's cool that Billy recently. Joel acknowledged it and wasn't just like, this is BS. That never happened. Well, you know, Billy Joel's not like that. So that was like, I mean, listen, he invited Victor the clown to a show. Yeah, this guy. That's why I can't believe we haven't gone yet. So I thought he was cool. We're two clowns. Come on. Yeah. Hey, I can't believe he hasn't had us open for him. And do you guys want to do some comedy beforehand? Sure, we do. We're really good in front of a festive crowd. Yeah. I like I'll that. tell you, you guys have seen the six million dollar man, right? Hello. Is, is, is this thing is this on? Dave, Dave's doing his dinty more beef <laughs> stew bits for uh, twenty thousand people. Aaron at MSG. Brockovich. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs>
My Dinty more beeps do. You got Billy that Joel's, right. Billy Joe's on the sideline, like, play the hits, Dave. Don't do the Dinty more <laughs> bit. Do the Nick Cage impersonation. Did you know that across the street from the executive bar in Wilshire, there's an all-you-can-eat sushi and barbecue, which really could explain a lot. Uh, there is currently today or back then. <laughs> it's currently today, but I'm picturing it's back then. Because I was like, sushi, <laughs> all-you-can-eat sushi in 1972 would have been yeah, weird. No, there was no, there wasn't that. There was, in fact, I was just talking to my friend Vincent, and he had sushi with Yule Brenner in 1973, which was the hugest thing you could do because Yule Brenner is credited with bringing sushi to America. It was one place. I was wow. just, I just saw when it was funny when I was looking at the Google Maps to find out where the executive room was. Uh, it had across the street all you can eat sushi and barbecue. I'm like, ah. <laughs> and of course, going back and be like, oh, wait, that couldn't have been there. <laughs> but but then when you look at the pictures from back in the 70s of the executive rooms, the left is some crappy Chinese restaurant. So it was basically in a strip mall. And now it is a new strip mall. Did you read uh, popspotsnyc.com did some sleuthing to find the exact address? Yes. Which was 35. Oh, it's, 30... it's easy to find the exact address. Oh, they made it sound like it was very complicated. <laughs> oh, it, it was easy to look up the executive room address. And, you know, yeah, it's on Wilshire Boulevard. That was very easy. Well, but it doesn't exist anymore. It's long gone. Yes. But the best part about that story is now it is a uh, mini mall. In fact, I wasn't I was going to if this was another song, I was going to call you and say, hey, I could do the parody today because I have a parody of the mini mall that's there now. What uh, is it? I have a couple of lines, but I but okay. I was like, well, I'm not going to tell a line not to do a piano man parody today. You know, that's, you know, but give us everyone, your lines. Though. I want to hear the lines. No, I think you'll like it. The executive room was torn down that day and a mini mall grew in its place with a smoke shop and a vapor bar and a pizza hut in my old space. <laughs> and, I, and then I got to the, the meat of it and the subway shops crafting their sandwiches. Has the dry cleaners taken your clothes? And if you walk up a floor and ask for a pedicure, they'll say, man, what are you doing here? Because pedicures <laughs> hate men. So thank you very much. Folks. Very That's, good. And that, that came to me in two seconds. So I was like, ah, I'll just <laughs> yeah. you're like, ah, Billy Joel. I thought that hard. <laughs> right. In a few well, no, I just meant it was just so easy because all these horrible places in the mini mall where this guy did this legendary thing. By the way, I don't know whether you know. Well, you do know, but I'm saying. If we go to L.A. together, we can actually park in the parking lot where his piano would have been and just put on Piano Man and actually be in the room where he technically played piano. Man. Yeah, we'll have like a car. seance. We'll feel yes, the energy. Exactly. You know, they the people that own the executive room took the piano and moved it with them to Florida. So they still have it. Yeah, Roy and Jill Hill, they bought the executive room after Billy Joel was playing there. So they 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 got it back in the mid 70s. They have the piano still. And uh, they it was cool as they have stories about who these people are, not just from Billy Joel's perspective, but they were like, oh, yeah. So, yeah, John was the bartender and Paul uh, was this guy in real estate. But they didn't know that he wanted to be a novelist. That was something that only Billy Joel knew, apparently. And they were like, oh, the, the manager who gave him a smile, that was probably this guy named Matt. So like they get, <laughs> oh, and they said uh, Davy in the Navy. They were like, he's actually was a merchant Marine. So close enough. You would figure he would be all over that. Oh, you're in the Marines, huh? I like water myself. Yeah, tell me more. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes, it is an incredible story. I had no idea that the waitress practicing politics was his future wife. I, I, I had no idea. I did not. That was interesting to find out. 
Yeah, they worked there together. Um, and, you know, it's kind of funny because there's always this story, which Billy Joel tells all the time, that he was hiding out at the executive room as Bill Martin playing piano because he was trying to avoid Artie Rip and hiding out from the record labels. But Artie Rip's son, Adam Rip, has been posting on Facebook his own recollections of, of kind of like retelling the history of Billy Joel and Artie. And what he says is that Artie always knew where Billy Joel was. This wasn't any kind of secret because Billy Joel was still living in the house that Artie had originally rented for him in L.A. And oh. Adam, Artie's son, and Billy Joel's stepson were friends that went to school together. So they were still hanging out as friends throughout this whole time when Billy Joel was playing at the executive room. It's not going to last for long. As far as I've heard, Adam Rip, is that you said what his name is? Yeah. I think he's trying to make a movie called Piano Man, a biography like I did with the cars <laughs> right. about Billy Joel. And I believe Billy Joel's pretty pissed off. Yeah, I think I saw a headline. Billy Joel will not allow any of his music to be used yeah. in the movie. Well, exactly. Just like with my cars movie. We didn't use any of the movie. And that's why you've never heard of it before. Uh, but no, it, how do you? Why would you even go ahead and make a documentary like that if you can't use his music? What a complete waste of time. Well, here's a solution. Adam Rip, if you're listening, uh, we have many parodies that sound just like Billy Joel tunes. <laughs> Billy Joel A to Z will license our music to you for this documentary. Do we dare try and get that guy on the show? It would be very interesting. He'd probably love to talk. We'd get some real scoops. What do you think? He's like around my age? Uh, think he's older. Yeah, he's probably about your age because I guess he was was born born in the mid 60s. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's interesting as hell. I mean, he's got to have a story. I mean, even, oh, you know, my father gets a bad rap. (laughs) Yeah, it's a lot of that. Well, it'd be great if we'd be like, listen, that paternity rap a few years ago, did what happened? (laughs) Just really let him have it. (laughs) There is a version of this song, and I know you were listening to all the other versions where he is getting the Gershwin Prize, but pretty much around that 2014, 2015 time where his songs go into Library of Congress. Okay, good. I saw you nodding your head. Yes. Please tell me that you also will use the term the butchering of an American classic song by people who are normally very good, but seem to just hate Billy Joel. Well, yeah, it's a big ensemble, but the, the scariest thing was that Kevin Spacey was like the lead guy playing harmonica on the whole thing. Oh, and my singing God. The first verse. Right. Right. So now it's you got a cancel guy who's playing the harmonica and he's and he's horrible at it. I mean, it's very impressive that Kevin Spacey is doing it, but it's not good enough that he's the end all harmonica guy throughout the song. Then he sings the first per- verse and he's awful. Then Natalie Maines, who I normally like, awful. Uh, Leanne Rhymes, who usually has a lovely voice, awful. Josh Groban, who's you can tell has the best singing voice there, just creepy and awful. And the only guy, and, and Billy wasn't even good. And the only guy <laughs> who was good was Gavin DeGraw, who I yes. don't care for. And he was fantastic and seemed to get it. And put his all into it where the others were just like, eh, what are we doing? Let's just, uh, yeah, yeah, give me a verse. I'll just do it. They're showing no respect for, I don't know what they were doing there because I believe the whole night was about him. Yeah, you're right. Gavin DeGraw was totally the best. The the most interesting person on the stage was Tony Bennett, who appeared to be confused why he was on stage. <laughs> they don't even give Tony Bennett, it's Billy Joel's idol. They don't even give him anything to do. He never sang. He just stood there like, where am I? What is this? So weird to do on a night when you're tributing Billy Joel 
to just play his song and be so awful. That was the worst rendition I've ever. Well, I'll tell you about a, a worse one later. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> There's a funny story. Did you watch the 2001 Masterclass? No. There was a lot of masterclasses about this, but in that one, he's talking about he has the harmonica thing on his neck. And he says that the first time he ever saw one of these, he was seeing Bob Dylan in the village and he had that on his neck. And it's really hilarious. He's like, I thought the guy was in a car accident. I thought it was like a neck break. <laughs> and then he, then he starts singing. And then I was like, he must have been in a car accident. The guy can't sing to save his life. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's good. Oh, he is so funny at those master class. I didn't think I'd find anything new that we didn't know. So I didn't bother watching it. But see, now that you tell me that, that's really funny. That was the only new thing. Every other one was exactly the same story. So, Alon, I'm just you know going to take a guess the way you guessed the rankings. I mean, uh, well, I did see that he soured on this song for a while, and maybe that's recent. But I'm going to say he plays this every night. Uh, live statistics wise. Yeah, that's right. Do you want to guess what rank it is? One. Yes, that is correct. This is the number one most played Billy Joel song of all time. Wow. It has been played 837 documented times, which is 82 more than the next closest on the list. Wow. And even though we know that a lot of those concerts from the 70s, we don't have records of, you could be pretty sure he was playing this at all of those shows too. So it's probably well over a thousand. So he feels that he must play it every night, which is kind of odd because I swear I would be going there and being like, I don't care if he I'm not going to leave there saying I'm glad he didn't play piano, man, I, or not. You know, it wouldn't bother me. I'm surprised it would bother other people. You're an outlier. I think it would bother a lot of people to not hear it because they want to have that big sing along moment with well, 20,000 other people. There is something to that because he does stop singing and let the crowd sing. And it is kind of joy. Uh, again, you remember when I told you when my cousins came to town and they went to Billy Joel and they invited me and I couldn't go. And I just want to kill myself because of that. And I can't believe I brought it up again. Because uh, I tried to get over it. Uh, but when we went to the bar after and they had all gone, they were playing a bunch of Billy Joel at the bar. We've already talked about this. I mean, just it was so great to sing along to, you know, just having some beers. And when that song comes on, everybody sings along. Everybody on the planet sings along when that song comes on in the bar. It's it is it is that magical. Yeah. And even if you don't know all the verses, you at least know the la da parts and you definitely know the sing us a song. You're the piano man. So there's enough parts of it that everyone can pick up really quickly. You know, the chorus for sure. Yeah. Well, Dave, it's time for the trivia portion of the show. Do you have a stumper for me? You know, this was a really tough one because I feel like everybody knows everything about this song. You know, it, it was hard doing stuff that we could bring to you guys today because I feel like, you know, if you're listening to Billy Joel A to Z, we know the story behind Piano Man. But yeah. uh, so I got a weird one. <laughs> okay. It doesn't involve me. <laughs> that <won't>. is weird. <laughs> All right. Let me see if I worded this correctly. You know, this is where I don't shine. Uh, America's first karaoke bar was a place in Burbank, California called Dimples. Uh, which closed in 2015 on the last night, an actor who plays a principal from a legendary nineties television show, a school principal from a legendary 90s television show was one of the last persons to sing there. This guy also has an album where he actually has the nerve to cover piano man. <laughs> what is the name of this epic show? Well, I'd say, is it Dennis Haskins? 
who played it Mr. Is. Belding on Saved by the Bell? Yes, it is. <laughs> <laughs> and my my follow up was, in case you didn't get it, was it's a show with a cast of really hot actors and one ugly Jew. <laughs> <laughs> of course, Screech. R.I.P. Exactly. Um, I have a funny Dennis Haskins story. <laughs> okay. Say that again, because I think my trick ear must have been going out at that time because no one's ever said that. So okay. I can't even wait. <laughs> it's it's really short, but it's like a weird little mini miniature anecdote. So one of my best friends, this girl that he used to date when we first met her, she came. We had like a little party at her house and she was like, I don't know. We were talking about say by the bell or something. And she was like, one time I was at a bar and Mr. Belding was there and I made out with him. <laughs> Wow. So this is, this is like a person who she was probably like 25 at the time, maybe maybe 28. And you figure Mr. Belding was probably in his 50s at least when this thing happened. At least. So it's very odd. But I was like, man, what a thing. Don't tell people that. Well, it does make sense. It seems like a lot of people that grew up with that would probably be so into meeting any cast member of Saved by the Bell that you would get excited. <laughs> yeah. And you make out with him for the story, I guess. Exactly. I don't think she was like, whoa, that building looks pretty hot. Yeah, well, I am uh, going to play his karaoke version of Piano Man, which was the song I referenced earlier as maybe one of the worst versions of Piano Man and embarrassment to Billy. So then I don't know whether he put out a whole album of him singing karaoke tunes, and I don't know whether it's a joke or whether he's serious, but it is the worst rendition. It And then until I saw the Gershwin prize rendition and then this might be better (laughs) (laughs) so we have another billy joel a to z exclusive oh yeah oh we got the exclusive i can't play the whole i'll just play the first verse and you'll you'll turn it off (laughs) we should try to get dennis haskins on as a guest oh and now you're just talking brilliant (laughs) god damn that's a that's i'm writing that down right now (laughs) seems like an easy get so who's this girl that you made out with? Alon says he knows yeah. <laughs> that paternity rap. <laughs> it's nine o'clock on a Saturday. The regular crowd shuffles in. There's an old man sitting next to me. He's making love to his tonic and gin. All right, Alad, do you have a trivia question for me about the song Piano Man? Yeah, I do. Um, okay, my, my question is, what type of restaurant is across the street from the executive room? Is it all you can eat sushi and barbecue? That's correct. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, uh, I'm like, you. I couldn't. I, it was hard to think of a good trivia. Question yeah, this, this was song. the most difficult. Isn't that the strangest thing, right? Yeah. So anyway, so mine relates to the billboard charts. That's where I like to default when I can't think of a good trivia question. I love I love the billboard charts. You know, I love the listings. Okay, so we know that this song peaked at number 25 on the Hot 100. But the week that it debuted on the Hot 100, it was at number 94. In that week, what song by Barbara Streisand was number one? 1973 by Barbara Streisand. um, The Way We Were? That's correct. Yeah, I was, you know, I, I was thinking of, uh, I, I believe it's a, a movie title too. So with Robert Redford, so I was thinking of the year and uh, I was able to get it. Great. I was going to, I was going <laughs> to give you a hint uh, about uh, Andrew Dice Clay, because that might trigger you. The oh, way, the we, way was. we was. <laughs> That's just the way we was. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> I only need three songs from you tonight. I know you're going to do a lot, but, uh, like just the way we was, that's one of them, right? And uh, oh, that's so funny. Yeah, no, I uh, I put it in my head really quickly. Awesome. 
Look at us. We both nailed the trivia today. Yeah. Well, Alon, this is a, a huge day for you, as only the good guy young was and New York State of Mind. We got three uh, pretty much in a row where you have to shine. You must shine in your parody. What do you got for us today? Okay, so my parody for Piano Man is called Soprano Man. I like it. It's about the Sopranos. What? <laughs> or I'll just I'll sing Piano Man in a soprano voice. Maybe that's what I'll do. It works either way. Yeah. Okay. There might be spoilers in this song, so if you haven't ever seen the show, I apologize. Hey, it's been like 20. You can't do spoilers after something's been out for 20 years. It's a good point. All right. That's on you. It's nine o'clock at Vesuvio. Paulie and Sal shuffle in. There's an old man named Uncle Junior and his jealousy's eating at him. He says, Tony, I should run this family. And your mother agrees with me because you're sad. And I think that you go to your shrink and tell secrets to Dr. Melfi. Oh, Gabagool. <laughs> Gabagool. Whack us a rat, soprano man. Whack us a rat from here. Big pussy is helping the FBI. So you gotta make him disappear. I have another verse. Okay. Now, Christopher is my nephew, the guy that I want to succeed. When he's not killing thugs, he's shooting up drugs and writing a mobster movie. He says, Tone Adriana is killing me. She's working with the FBI. I would have noticed it sooner, but I was focused on just getting high. Oh, Gabagool. Gabagool. Whack us a rat, soprano man. Whack us a rat from here. Adriana is helping the FBI. So you gotta make her disappear. Hey now. You know, it's funny. I was gonna say, I hope he's not gonna do another verse because you know that that's a plenty, but you have to do another verse because Piano Man is just too many verses, which he does with that and Captain Jack and some of these songs should have been cut to 305 because it's just <laughs> too much. But so I think the in the parody, you must do another verse. I think he did the right thing by doing it because uh, that's the way the song goes. Thank you. And I edited it because I had another one that I wrote also. Oh, I'm sure John, you did. Oh, I'm Johnny sure you Sack. had like five or six versions. Yeah, because I believe the first verse was only season one. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I span from like one to five in here. The, the, then you had, you know, the second verse was season two and three. So you, there's plenty more verses to go. Absolutely. If anybody's interested, you can write to Alon and he'll uh, put it out for you on Instagram. <laughs> Well, folks, that was Piano Man. If you like our podcast, be sure to go to Apple and give us five stars. We release new episodes every Tuesday and Thursday, so make sure you hit subscribe so you don't miss a single song. Follow us on social media at Billy Joel A to Z and give us some feedback. Is this your number one Billy Joel song of all time? Do you believe Billy Joel or Adam Ripp's version of the story? 
Would you come to LA and have a piano man party with Dave and me in the executive room parking lot? <laughs> that sounds dirty. <laughs> One of those piano man parties. <laughs> Go watch the Gershwin Prize performance and let us know if you agree that the song was butchered. And would you ever make out with Mr. Belding? I would. <laughs> Who wouldn't? Until next time, I'm Alan Altman. I'm Dave Juskow. And this is Billy Joel A to Z. The piano, it sounds like a carnival. And the microphone smells like beer. And the-